welcome to Progressive Opinions of Color, a podcast that seeks to create space for people of color in conversations about economics and politics. I'm your host, Nancy Wu, and today we got a great episode for you guys with my friend Sumeya, who is a Yale Law student who specializes in tax policy. And oh my gosh, talking to her, I learned so much. Like when I was editing this episode, I was re-listening to it and just like so engaged in this knowledge because homegirl is so freaking intelligent. And I just cannot believe like how intelligent my friends are and how interesting they are. So I'm really excited to share this with you guys. We talk about Trump's taxes, what's legal and what isn't legal, and what are the consequences of his behavior. There was a preview of this in the previous episode about the presidential debate where Sumeya contributed her reactions to it. And if you didn't catch that part, there's even more in here. You can catch her thoughts here and even more. So don't skip it if you've already listened to that part because there is so much more that Sumeya covers. We also talk about... What would Biden's tax on people who make more than $400,000 do to everyone in the U.S.? Could getting rid of the corporate tax actually be a more progressive tax policy? How do we get a more progressive tax policy? What are the capital gains tax? And how did evangelicals and the moral majority and the religious right get interested in politics? Hint, it is not pro-life politics, actually. It's something else. And why do we even need taxes Are taxes fundamentally supposed to be redistributive? And if so, how are we seeing that in our economy? And where are our taxes really going? So there's a lot of questions, a lot of answers, and even more than that. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode. And for new subscribers here, for new listeners, make sure to subscribe, to review, to rate, and especially on Apple Podcasts where you can do this. Um, And no matter what platform you are listening to, make sure to subscribe and keep updated for more episodes. We have a lot coming up covering the presidential debates that are coming up um, and a lot of other things. There's a lot of things going on in this world right now. So I'm super excited to share this episode with you guys and let's get started. I have Sumeya with me today. Sumeya is one of my friends from, we used to work together at like this bullshit econ consulting (laughs) evil place. (laughs) And we bonded over that and been hanging out. But Sumeya is in Yale Law School study and like a tax expert so let's talk like why don't you introduce yourself yeah so my name's Maya I study primarily tax law um definitely not an expert but at least I know a little bit more um than I guess the average person I feel like the Trump yeah the Trump tax returns were just fascinating like you could do a whole probably a whole year just on that. I mean, obviously we haven't seen the tax returns, but the tax code is super biased towards real estate. That's the starting point. And so like a lot of what Trump seems to be doing, which is like perfectly legitimate, is like depreciating down his real estate and then using um, generally his business losses, right? Using his business losses in one area to like cover gains in another. That's fine. Whatever. But then there's, like, really weird stuff. So, like, an example is that uh, he took, like, a $100,000 or $70,000 deduction for haircuts and, like, makeup and stuff, like, as a reality TV star, which there's, there's like, case law on all of this. And basically, you can't take a deduction. So even though, like, there is a business purpose, right? He does have to look good to be on The Apprentice, good as a relative term. Even if you have to buy clothes or something for a job, Unless you can't use them in any other context, you can't deduct them. 
And so actually, this is why ABBA's costumes were so ridiculous is because they wanted to be able to deduct them. And so they were like, and they have like a decision being like, well, no one would wear this on the street. So like, fine, you can deduct your outfits. Like, <laughs> because there's no other purpose, but like a haircut is always going to have a purpose besides like the primary business one, right? So that's the kind of stuff where it's just like, you can't do this. Like, you have to know you can't do this. <laughs> like, I don't know. And then the consulting fees to Ivanka, which are like, so like, that's how they did a lot of their losses was they would always have 20% or more like massive, massive consulting fees, which you can do, right? And you can even do it technically if someone's an employee of the company, which she was at the time. As long as you're paying them like different rates and it's different jobs, you can do it, but you're going to have to prove that it was market rate, which I'm willing to bet if anyone digs into, right? That is, she was not being paid market rate. She was probably being paid, you know, whatever amount they decided to try to offset. And that's the whole thing, right? Like, cause you're not going to overpay a random consultant that sucks. You're just losing money. But when you're transferring it inside your family, which is what these payments to Ivanka are, you can just pay them however much you want. Like, who cares? I just don't understand how you can do all of this shit. And like everyone else has to pay so much fucking taxes and he can take it out on his haircuts. Yeah. I mean, the IRS, obviously there's an ongoing IRS investigation and it looks like it's been going on. Like there've been multiple IRS investigations. So it's certainly like, it doesn't seem like they're letting him get away with it. Um, and I'm sure, but like, this is the thing, right? What's going to, at most, what happens is he has to pay back taxes plus interest, unless it's found to be like fraud, in which case then you like get an ex- an expensive penalty. But like, you know, if you're a business and you're like, okay, am I going to take this super aggressive position, right? And like all of Trump's tax positions are really aggressive, I can't say they're like illegal, but they're definitely aggressive. Well, your calculation is basically going to be, okay, what's the likelihood I get audited? If I get audited, I have to pay back taxes plus interest. And maybe, right, what's the likelihood I get really slammed because it's found out that I did this fraudulently and then, you know, you have to pay penalty versus, you know, the audit rates under 1%. So if you're, you know, not the most ethical actor and you're looking at those odds, you might as well take the aggressive position, right? Yeah, that is pretty low. Shouldn't they, like, audit people like Trump more, though? Like, why don't they audit, like, specifically, like, all businesses? I feel like businesses have the most incentive to, like, screw up with their tax returns. I mean, it's expensive as hell. (laughs) Like, true. It's actually kind of fucked up. The people that are audited the most are people on uh, low-income individuals who get the earned income tax credit and the child tax credit. Um, And it's true that there's actually a lot of fraud there, but it's mostly on accident. So um, only one parent can claim a child for like low-income child tax credits. And like, you know, very frequently with divorced parents, both parents will, which is not, you know, no one's deliberately acting badly it's just like why would you think only one person could claim the kid right (laughs) like um and so there's a lot of auditing I mean the the audit rate's higher there but honestly like the way a lot of big cases get to the IRS is not I mean this is the old school version 
uh, who knows how it's happening now, is literally like I, the IRS would get, it's like a lot of the tax fraud's really, really complicated. And no one, and you can't see it from the outside. You're just looking at financial reports. Like you can't tell what the scheme is. And so, but like the IRS would occasionally just receive basically like manila envelopes, like unmarked manila envelopes with like some deal in it, which is very much a signal of like, hey, look at this. This is weird as hell. And a lot of, I mean, no one knew who they're from, but a lot of the time the guesses would be like, they would be from lawyers or other people associated with the deal who like didn't think it was good. But yeah, it's just, it's, I mean, think about how many deals any big business does, right? Like it's too hard to keep track of. I just feel like if just raising taxes on businesses like is the main problem with because that would just raising things by one percent would really just bring us so much money. Just looking at like how much freaking the big tech companies and Jeff Bezos and all that bullshit all they gain from COVID alone, like raising taxes on that would raise so much money. Is the main obstacle just like administrative? The main obstacle is international. So like. My big thing is actually like what I really want to study is like, how do you raise taxes on Amazon? Wildly enough, the thing that has made the biggest movement towards taxing tech companies was actually the 2017 Republican tax bill. They have a lot of pretty aggressive things going after tech. But the problem isn't the U.S. tax rate, really. I mean, it is and it isn't. Um, The problem is how easy it is to move overseas. So like, this is a really standard scheme. Amazon and like the U.S. government sued Amazon for it and lost. So we've tried. So obviously we can't tax money made by a French corporation in France. We have no right to tax that. That would be a wild thing for the U.S. to try to tax. And we apply this to like subsidiaries. So a real thing Amazon did is they have Amazon Switzerland. Uh, Switzerland has a really low tax rate. Switzerland and Ireland are where a lot of your tax games are going to go to. And so they had Amazon US transfer all of the IP of Amazon ever to Amazon Switzerland. Okay. And and Amazon Switzerland paid for that. And this was what the litigation was about because I think they paid like $100 million to Amazon US. And the IRS was like, no, that's actually worth $5 billion. You owe us the tax rate on that. But you can set, but the US government lost because they were like, well, you can do valuation. However, it's anyway, but so now Amazon Switzerland has all of the IP. And so then every year, the US, Amazon US and all other Amazon branches pay some amount of money to Amazon Switzerland. And that's deducted from the US branches taxes that gets paid by the Switzerland branches taxes. And for all of the taxes that are like, and for all of the gains say in Amazon Europe, that's from Amazon Switzerland's IP, the U.S. has no right to tax that because it's not U.S. sourced income. And this is the problem because in order to tax Amazon or any tech company, you have to try to answer the impossible question of, well, where does Facebook make its money? Like, what country is this money made in? It's unanswerable, right? Um, and so now, so that's that's the big issue. It's like, okay, you raise taxes in the U.S., What's going to happen? They're going to offshore, <laughs> right? And it's and it's so easy to offshore, right? Like, it's hard to offshore manufacturing. It's not at all hard to offshore tech, right? Because you just have to transfer who owns the IP to a different country. Okay. So raising corporate tax rates won't even do that much then, at least for these like large companies that are making the most money right now. 
Not until you get international coordination, which is what's happening now. There's like this plan out of the uh, OECD called BEPS to deal with this problem. It's like 108 countries like China and the U.S. are coordinating to try to tax Amazon because everyone's losing um, because of how international tax is structured. But until until everyone's moving at once, you're fucked. Um, And actually, the Republican tax bill, weirdly enough, has the biggest move against Amazon by basically saying they created this new category of tax that's basically like global intangible income. And they're like, okay, whatever your global intangible income is, you have to pay tax on it of 14%. We don't care where it comes from. And practically, it's not really effective for like some structural reasons, but it sends a really clear signal. And so a lot of businesses that had inverted or gone abroad for these reasons are now coming back to the US because it kind of senses like this game is done, let's move on. And like, you don't wanna be the last person in the room getting sued by the IRS, that looks bad, right? So just leave now before we're really doing it. (laughs) Wow. But right now when they talk about raising corporate taxes or is it really just like, really just harming the small business owners or mid-sized like mom and pops and stuff or- like who is being harmed by what types of taxes? Like of the ones that they're proposing right now for like Biden's platform and Trump's platform, like. Yeah, I mean, it's a little, it's hard to tell, but like even raising the corporate tax, right? Like as long as the corporate tax is lower than the individual tax rate, which it currently is, corporations are tax shelters because you can just park your money. Like currently paying double tax is cheaper than the top individual tax rate. So it is currently better to be a partnership, to be a corporation pay that double tax rate than to be a partnership and have like just a flow through of the individual rate. Um, so, you know, and right. Corporate corporations can disperse money whenever they want. So as long as you don't need cash there, the money's just sitting in that corporation collecting interest that whole time, time value of money, and you're getting a better deal than if you were to have it go through. So that's like one problem. The other thing is currently we don't have a tax on capital, um, which no one knows except tax nerds, because one thing the 2017 tax bill did is they um, is immediate depreciation. So usually, right, like you get a building, it falls in value some degree every year just because it's getting older or like equipment and you depreciate that value every year, 10%, whatever, until it's down to zero. Um Now you can cut it down to zero immediately. And there's like a more complicated proof for that. But basically what this immediate depreciation is equivalent to not putting a tax on capital at all. So we currently have no capital tax. We have a tax on labor and not capital. It's just the world we live in. Wait, what the heck? I feel like labor and capital are both seen as like taxable entities and weighed like as inputs in econ like theory and stuff like why the hell is one tax not the other yeah i mean and the thing is it's subtle because you're like oh we have immediate depreciation what does that do well immediate depreciation right so it's like it's basically saying right you would have a hundred dollars of income so the way it works to kind of explain that a bit more is you have a hundred dollars of income right usually you have to pay a hundred dollars in tax on that or like $30 in tax, you end up with 70, you invest that 70, then whatever money you make off that investment, 
is retaxed again, but at the capital gains rate, which is lower. Now, say you have $100 in income, but you had some building worth 100, you can depreciate that down immediately to zero. And so now you have $0 in income. And so you can fully invest all of that. And now you're making, instead of making 70, like investing 70 and making, you know, whatever, 10% on 70, you're making 10% on 100. And that difference is actually your t- the difference like you would have paid in taxes. And so it's basically created a world in which there is no longer a tax on uh, capital. Wait, taxes are actually way more interesting than I thought. I remember when we like were hanging out in New York and you were saying that you were interested in taxes. I was like, what the fuck? But like, <laughs> this is insane. This is shit that like people don't know. Yeah, no, absolutely not. And like... It's because it's, you know, it's like, how are you trying to sell people on like taxes? But it's like a lot of these kind of small things in the tax code are really important, (laughs) like really important. So when Biden like proposes like raising taxes for people making over 400K, like that is like an overarching statement, but there's going to be parts of that tax code that's going to be like minor things. Basically, you can like just put random caveats into the minor points and like it could have a completely different impact from the headline or like what it would be the impact of that policy. Yeah. I mean, I think that's kind of the open question and it's right. Cause you can say, okay, I'm going to raise taxes on people. And it's like, okay, well, if you just raise it on a flat amount, people and like rich people have good tax lawyers, they're going to figure out how to make that be really low. I mean, GE is effective tax rate for an incredibly long time was basically negative, right? So it's kind of like, until you have details on it, it doesn't mean much. And there's there's so much, like a wealth tax would be a really interesting thing, right? And, and it would be interesting because it's like a little hard to game, but it's also really hard because like, you're forced to do like massive valuations every year. And you're forcing people to, right? I mean, Bezos is a great example, right? Um, obviously he's really rich, but- the majority of that money is not in cash. It's in like the value of Amazon. And so if you're taxing him on like whatever billions he's worth, I mean, again, I don't feel particularly sympathetic to Bezos, but you're going, like, it's not clear that he would have the cash in hand to pay that, right? Um, Which is typically why we don't tax wealth, right? I mean, in a more sympathetic example, you could imagine someone inheriting a home and that person is currently low income, but their home is, say, in an area that has gentrified. And so their home is worth a lot of money. And if you're forcing them to pay taxes on the value of that home, they might be forced to sell it or, you know, they just will not have the income to do so. Right. <laughs> Which is more sympathetic than Jeff Bezos. Yeah. Would just taxing, like, your stock shares or even, like, your invested stock shares be a better solution because the fact that like I feel like investments are not taxed enough and like investment income is not taxed enough investment trades like just like paying fees when you're like actually like gambling on the stock market is not like should have taxes on it I feel like that would directly get at a group of people that is like more privileged I guess the other side is that it could impact like people's 401ks and retirements and like that's always been my like in my my like idea for just like oh maybe that's like one loophole that we can just used to increase more tax revenue. Yeah, I think it'd be interesting, right? Because like the capital gains rate has almost always been lower than the actual income tax rate. Um, 
And so you could, yeah, you could increase that. Um, and I'm in this class that's like really interesting right now called the anti-tax movement, right? Um, and this is just a thing I feel like people should know. Um, so, you know, the moral majority, right? The, like the whole people that brought Reagan into power. Where do you, like, why do you think evangelicals joined like politics generally? I feel like they're all in it for the pro-life. Yeah, everyone thinks this, right? This is not true. So uh, Roe v. Wade was like 1972, something like that, early 70s. And they didn't get involved until Ronald Reagan. And the thing that set them off, the thing that like created the moral majority, there are records of this, there are conferences about this, like this is not, this is very verifiable, was this case called Bob Jones out of the IRS, which basically said that, uh, and, and a whole line of cases in the same way, that basically said that schools that segregate, private schools that segregate, cannot get tax exempt status, that you cannot be a nonprofit and tax exempt and also engage in segregation. And this is the origin story for the moral majority and for the religious right. <laughs> like, this is it. This is what happened. And it was about tax and it was about like racism and all of these things, but it was in a very deep sense about tax <laughs> um, as well, right? And yeah, that's just wild. And people do not realize that this is how this started. Holy crap. Yeah, I did not realize that either. <laughs> no, because they sell the story of like, oh, it was about abortion. It was like about the social movement. It wasn't like if it was, you would have expected it to start in like past Roe, like immediately after Roe v. Wade. And it doesn't. It starts in the response to the IRS shutting down or removing tax exempt status from segregation academies and they weren't able to financially support themselves without that status so it was like well and then they've just been staying in it for abortion and for like other also so fucked up it really is but like too if you think about like the whole oh anti-government anti-tax all of that and like because it's pretty new right you know people always referencing oh there's like a 90 percent tax rate in the 1950s And I think, like, a huge part of this story is realizing that, like, our movement against high tax rates isn't just about, like, I don't know, like, a free market capitalism thing, but is, like, inherently tied in with racism, right? Um, And this, like, hatred of tax and hatred of the IRS really (laughs) gets its origin point in the IRS not allow and, and and they were really strict too like it wasn't just like oh you can have one black student a lot of it was like it had to reflect the rate like these private schools had to reflect the racial composition of the areas in which they were in to like get this safe harbor otherwise like the heirs could audit them and investigate so it's you know it's not trivial <laughs> and the irs like tax companies now that don't have like a composition of people of color and black folks like that they do and like the huge cities that they run in because they definitely don't and <laughs> companies now should be taxed for that shit <laughs> yeah so taxes it seems like it has the power to do like a lot more than we give credit for and it seems like when politicians talk about taxes it's kind of like swings votes for like people who don't know much about it, like people are like, oh, I'm going to, like my parents, for example, they're like, oh, I'm going to vote for Trump because he's going to help us pay less in taxes. And all, mm-hmm. and people will vote Republican because they don't want the government touching their money. But is, is that really it? Like, do Republicans have policies that are more beneficial to that 
or is it all just like talk and politics? Like what's the finer point here? I mean, I think like if you look at the 2017 tax bill, so there are parts of it that are just error ridden. Like they're just huge mistakes in it because it was pushed in like two months. And, and some of those huge mistakes led to massive increases in taxes. But even ignoring the huge mistakes, like there were certain things that they did, like the state and local tax uh, removal thing that are objectively bad for individuals in certain states that increase their taxes. There are lots, I mean, the introduction of guilty, which is the um, uh, the intangible taxes. That is, I mean, I don't, unclear if it will currently raise tax bills, but it's going to, it's a signal that it will eventually, right? Um, but then um, again, there are like these massive, massive deductions, like this, the small business deduction is going to cost the treasury so much money. Like numbers are just coming in or are coming in lately, but they're really, really high. So I mean, it's like unclear, I guess would be the like the big thing, but it's not obviously like one way or the other, right? Because some taxes went, I think, I mean, I think it'd be hard to say that the Republican tax bill did not lower taxes for corporations. It almost definitely did for individuals. So here's an example. It got rid of the deduction for miscellaneous expenses for individuals. So like typically, right, if teachers buy school supplies for their classroom, they can deduct those on their income. You can't deduct that anymore. That that exemption is now gone for individuals. So that's going to increase the tax rate for people who typically do pay a lot out of pocket um, in order to do their job. So I'm thinking about this in theory because COVID stimulus costs a lot, but it's necessary. Federal payments of like rent and this payments is going to be necessary. And I was talking about this in an earlier episode about how like the debt doesn't really matter if like it keeps, it can keep expanding if GDP keeps expanding or whatever, like Mm -hmm. as long as people are buying us treasuries, like we're fine. Could in theory, like the government just not raise taxes and just keep like issuing debt to fund things. Like why do we even need taxes? I mean, I guess they could, but like taxes, right? Like for me, the way in which I think about the role of taxes, it's it's fundamentally like redistributive, right? Um, And so like part of the point of taxing is like to take away money from rich people, right? Which is not, you're not going to get if you just expand debt. And the debt thing is really interesting too, right? Because like more and more debt is being owned abroad and by like more more and more u.s debt is owned by non-americans right and i think there is kind of that question politically of like okay it's one thing for us to tax our citizens to pay debt that is mostly held by americans if that money's just straight up leaving the u.s i think i don't know i feel like that that feels different right versus a world in which it's at least going back into the american economy in some form yeah, ideally, it would be great if, like, taxes were more distributive, but I don't really feel that happening. At least, like, we don't have the social services that other countries have from, like, high tax rates. What are we even getting back from taxes? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's going to a lot of things, right? Obviously, military is a huge part of the budget, but, you know, so are social programs, so are student loan debt. Uh, Medicare, Medicaid, 
obviously is a huge, huge thing that's primarily funded by taxes, social security, um, which we're running out of money on, but, but right. Those, those are specifically earmarked. Um, and the U S tax system is still technically progressive. Um, there are aggressive elements to it for sure. Uh, but, but I think like the real, the real core of the problem, right. Is always, is this big, big international issue of like, as long as Ireland's tax rate is 11%, any attempt to raise U.S. taxes without corporate taxes, right? Individuals different, right? Because you can kind of assume Bezos is not going to get like, you know, an Irish citizenship and move to Ireland for his whole life just to dodge taxes. Although honestly, there are people who have done that. Like people will honestly like move residency to avoid tax rates, but, but it's a huge problem, right? Like the ease of companies offshoring to avoid taxes is, is a very, very real issue. And as much as it sucks to say, like there has been a decrease in this offshoring partially because the corporate tax rate went down, right? There's just less of an incentive to do it. I don't know. There was a proposal on Treasury a while back, like in the 90s, that was actually about eliminating the corporate tax rate entirely because it's just a bad tax. It's an incredibly bad tax. The corporate tax does not do what you think it does. Um, it doesn't, right? It's a tax shelter like 80% of the time. And it would make, oh, and it leads to all of this incredible complexity in the law and like all these tax games most of which you could get rid of if you just got rid of the corporate tax. And so there was a proposal, there was a movement to try to get rid of the corporate tax entirely and treat everything like a partnership, right? And so you're just taxing individuals at the end of the day instead of trying to tax this entity, which I honestly think would be great. Like, I think there's a lot of evidence for the fact that like you would end up with better, more progressive outcomes if you just eliminated like the corporate tax and taxed individuals. That's basically why like individuals who are really, really rich aren't paying as much taxes as they could be like how the 1% or something pays like lower taxes than like the tier below them because they have so much like stuff that they can just put offshores or in companies. Yeah. Because like, if Amazon earns money, right, it pays 21% on that, but Bezos doesn't pay anything until that money is distributed to him, right? And he can control when and if those distributions happen at all. And so, right, so like all of that, and and in the meantime, he's paid 21% and can continue to, you know, reinvest that money and make money off of it and has never paid that 37% tax rate. And you can, in theory, defer that, 37% tax rate forever by just not taking distributions. Um, whereas, you know, if you just got rid of the corporate tax, you'd pay that 37% whenever Amazon made money. Oh shit. So basically it's just a lot of loopholes in corporate taxes. <laughs> and I think that's kind of the interesting thing is a lot of it isn't loopholes as much as things that exist for a good business reason that are then easily manipulated. So like, the classic example is the realization requirement, which we need, I think. There are people who are like, no, we should just... But the realization requirement is like, you don't pay taxes on something until you sell it, right? Um, and so we're not forcing you to value everything that you own every year. It's just like, okay, 
if you own this building and you sell it at the end of 20 years, you pay taxes on that building. When you sell it, you're not paying taxes on it, you know, every year for those 20 years on the value of the building. And that makes sense, right? Because like people can be property rich and cash poor. Um, and we don't want to be like forcing fire sales at the end of every taxable year. But you can do so many games with the realization requirement. And they're ha- like pretty much every single tax game is fundamentally about deferring taxes rather than just eliminating them, right? Because, you know, you put them off 20, 30 years, which you can. There you go. But you can't, like getting rid of the realization requirement would be bad. <laughs> so it's a lot of things like that. Like there was this really big tax game in the 80s that was financed by non-recourse debt. Um, and Congress eventually was like, this tax game is so bad that we're just going to step in and change the law. And it was interesting because it was like, you know, t- right now we think of tax shelters of the top 1%. But like these were tax shelters that like the top 10% were using, like doctors, lawyers would all like have their own private little tax shelter. And, and you'd, you know, talk about it in like the elevators going up to your offices. And eventually Congress was like, no, now we're stepping in, we're fixing that. But the structure that existed did so for a good reason. And so the industries that had actually needed that, which I believe were uh, real estate and I want to say like natural resources, like oil and gas, that kind of thing, ended up going into like a recession in response because, right, it was targeted for a specific problem. And that's kind of the whole issue at the core of it is like all of these things are put into the tax code for good reason to try to solve specific problems that people can see. But then like you can't predict all the games on these very highly paid lawyers are going to figure out how to play, you know? Wait, these are all like really good examples. I'm really excited to like <laughs> post this episode soon. I feel like this, like I listened to podcasts about this and I haven't heard like any perspectives that really understand taxes. This is like great. I'm curious, like, um, how did you like get into taxes? Yeah. I mean, I think, right. Like we both did econ and there's kind of that background thing. And I think, it is like within the law, it's the only part of the law that like explicitly cares about redistribution, right? Like that is what tax is about. It's a, like tax kind of to steal my professor's phrase answers the question who contributes to society and how much. Um, and that's like a really profound question, right? Like that's a question of like how our society functions and it's incredibly complex. Right. And so it's like, you know, anything you want to do ends up being a question in a lot of ways of taxation of like, okay, where are we going to get the money to fund these social programs? How are we, you know, we want like these math, right? Like massive social programs on the scale of European countries. One of the first questions then is like, okay, how do we fund them? And that's a question about tax. And it's, and it's often, right? Like it's often a much more complex problem than people realize, right? It's not just a like, okay, we can put the top tax rate to like 90. Yeah for a bit, um, right? It, it's it's hard. Uh, and I think that was what was interesting about it is it's like, here's this like really complex thing. And like the, the question that interests me the most is like this fundamental, you know, how do you tax Amazon? And that's genuinely a really difficult question, right? It's, it's not just a question of like, okay, raise the corporate rate. It's a question of like, how do you deal with an economy in which like, 
most value, especially in tech, is being created cross-border. Like, who gets to tax that? And there have been, right, so for example, there are currently ongoing debates about how we're going to do this. And there's, you know, you could structure it based on, like, where labor is. But you could also structure it, right, like, based on where raw materials are being uh, generated. And so there's currently a debate, like, Currently, there's like a possibility of like, maybe you can have a post-colonial intervention here of like when we're, we literally have to reconfigure the entire international like tax system to deal with like tech companies. <laughs> and we're all doing it. Like this is, that's what's wild about it. It's like, you know, how many things have you seen in which like China and the US actually cooperate? That is not a thing that happens, <laughs> you know? I will send you the link for the OECD thing. It's it's called BEPS, but it's a huge pro, uh, program. Ooh, yes. I will include the link in the show notes. That was a lot of taxes. I am like... I know. I'm going to like learn more as I like re-listen to, some, to it too and edit because there were some points that were like... I was like, wait, this is so new. Like I'm going to research more into corporate taxes now and how like... and look, and realize that when politicians say that, it actually doesn't necessarily do what they think it does. Yeah, I wrote something kind of quick on it for class. I can send it to you because it should be like kind of not too technical, <laughs> basically. Unseabit uh, yeah. was what the plan was called. It was, uh, I think, comprehensive business income taxation uh, was the plan out of Treasury. And it was like in the 1990s and it got killed. But uh, but there was a time in which we're like, maybe we'll just eliminate the corporate tax. Yeah, it was in 1992. There was an idea to try to do this. But it has not happened, obviously. Just the words eliminating the corporate tax sounds like something that progressives will... I know. Like, there's no way Democrats would ever support that, even if it's... Even if it like actually is more redistributive, just like that just sounds so politically charged. (laughs) I know. And I think that's like a lot of the problem is tax is so hard to explain, right? Like no one wants to hear about like, you know, right? Like imagine the headline that there is no tax on capital right now. That's such a big deal, but no one's saying it because you have to like get into all these details of immediate depreciation and like who wants to talk about this? And I think that's that's a huge part of the problem. But yeah, and what's really interesting about the BEPS thing about tech tech companies because I'm on the website right now and they're like we uh, but we estimate they estimate 240 billion is just lost annually because of tax avoidance mostly by tech companies. But I was, you know, I was talking to someone who I was working with and he described what tech companies have done and like why we've had this thing as um, basically an extractive colonial state that's now being pushed on the West, which is why the West is so pissed about it. But like that basically these corporations are just extracting resources, not paying anything back. And it's like exactly this extractive model that (laughs) is now being experienced. And then they're like, yeah, so now we're fixing it. Wow. <laughs> it's all about how you like phrase that, like <laughs> to get people that you want to incentivize, like angry enough to do something about it. It's, it's really, really cool. And it's really, really hard. Um, but yeah, I mean, who wants to talk about like fucking like CFCs on a presidential debate, a controlled porn company if they're a big part of this? Like no one wants to 
let's discuss this and no one's going to listen, right? But if you're just like, we'll raise taxes or we'll lower taxes, <laughs> that's a lot easier. Yeah, presidential debates are not going to go into like actual complexities of like taxes or the economy or like basically anything that's really going to impact people that people want to know about. Just a lot of yelling. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's inevitable, right? Like it takes so much time and training to like understand this stuff. Yeah, it's a huge issue. And and it's a huge issue in like stopping us from having, I think, a much more interesting like progressive tax code that isn't just about raise taxes. I mean, yes, raise taxes, but like, you know, yeah, I know it's kind of a Republican talking point of like, well, they'll just leave, but like, well, the, but like, it's a real risk, you know? <laughs> and it, and it's hard to have those conversations, I think. Yeah. And I'm sure people who know as much about taxes as you do are actually going to corporations to help them like save on their taxes. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's the job, right? Like and it and it's also the job because you're not getting that level of detailed training and like one, the government doesn't hire lawyers like straight out of law school pretty much ever. And so you kind of have to go into corporate and you go into corporate as training. But I think something that I found really interesting is you know, there's a lot of cycling in and out of the IRS, which typically, you know, people like this is bad, this is like the corporate But some of the people who've done the most radical moves against tech companies like that Amazon location are people who came from private, like big law firms and who went back to private big law firms and still did like these things that you just objectively look at and you're like, this was good. It sucks that you lost, but this was like a huge move, you know? So I don't know. It's, it's, I've been thinking about it a lot and it's like kind of complicated. (laughs) But you're graduating like soon, right? It's like, yeah. Yeah, so I'm going into the, the, yeah, I'm doing the corporate law side. I'm not going to do litigation just because, like, I personally don't feel comfortable, like, suing. I I don't feel comfortable having to, like, be, like, fight against the IRS. I don't want to do that. And I do want to go into government eventually. But I think just generally, like, yeah, there's a lot of back and forth and there's a lot of stuff that is the reality of the tax code is there are things, mistakes that you can just make that aren't lying, that are just, you know, you're trying to anything you do, you need a tax attorney to like look at. And so I'll probably be more on that side of just like looking at m deals and stuff and being like, hey, if you do it this way, you're going to hit like a really big tax bill and there's no real reason for it, you know, uh-huh. um, rather than like taking super aggressive positions, which Trump's attorneys certainly did, uh, and like getting ready for IRS litigation. I don't want to do that. That was not. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not suing the IRS and I don't want to work for Amazon. But like, you know, you can do a lot and not do that. Yay. Thanks for chatting with me. Yeah, of course. Thanks for listening to this episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it and found it informative. There is so much going on in this world right now, and I hope that this podcast can help bring some more clarity, more conversation starters, and just solidarity among people who are just stuck in this crazy world of Twitter and debates and a shitty president and COVID and all of these things coming up. So I hope this podcast brings some enjoyment. And just a quick shout out that this podcast got 
over 1,500 downloads in just over a month. I'm super excited. I can't believe that so many people are listening to this and are coming back and listening to it. So thank you so much for all the support. Make sure to rate, subscribe, and review, and just keep the support coming. I really appreciate it. And also, if you have any suggestions for future episodes that you want to hear about, some topics, make sure to email or contact in the information below. All the links are below, Samaya's information, my information, um, and I hope you guys enjoy, and I will see you guys in the next episode.